the Bar podcast, brought to you by the Icon Performance Health Centre. My name is Tom. Rawdon is with me as always. Hello, mate. Hi, uh, Tom. How are things going? Oh, you know, I'm getting it done. A little, uh, little gingery today, but uh, yes. we're getting it done. We can uh, delve uh, balls deep into that one a little bit later. Yeah, next show, we'll Real. go to the, the Rawdon's Warts and All. We'll essentially sit uh, eight weeks out of action, out of commission, but we'll uh, reveal as to why... Uh, maybe <laughs> yes. they have to hang on the edge of their seat till next time, Tom. They will. I mean, you'll be careful on the edge of your seat. Yes. Because it can be a little tender. Yeah, well, I don't want to rectify the situation at all, but uh, <laughs> right. ask no questions, I'll tell you no lies. Now, we have a, a feature episode on today. We've got a very special guest, Mark Buckley. Yeah. He was back on the show, I think it was episode 28 or thereabouts. Mm. He's the founder of FMA. If you need to Very know, underrated. know more about his story and his history, you can listen to the original interview. Yep. Today we've got him on specifically to talk about, well, it's an interesting one, Rawdon, because we started on, we wanted to talk about strength and power development yep. for athletes, yeah. and then strength and power development for general population. Great. And how these two interplay, what are the differences between the mm, two, mm, mm. what are the systems involved. And Mark yep. is, is excellent at outlining that. Yes. But what happened was he, he went through the FMA system, which is you, basically you identify the endpoint, yep. set the goal, identify the starting point, yep. and then essentially close the gap between the two. And that's where the magic of your programming and all those various bits and pieces come into play. Yep. And over the course of the interview, he'll go through various techniques for athletes and then what you would do for general population and goes into some detail there then the interview kind of morphed and moved into a place where we weren't really we didn't know it was going to go Rawdon but we started to talk about the psychology of training people in general and strength training and for athletes he, he has what he calls specific psychological preparedness yep for general population, it's called general psychological preparedness. Yeah. And then he went into a concept of self-parenting. and That was interesting. Really interesting. And yeah. it went even as, as uh, I Warts guess, and all. witch doctory into yeah. a, an area of, I guess, psychological profile and that carry over to various pushing and pulling movements. And, you know, people with certain emotional or life experiences may have a better press or a better deadlift. Yeah. And, and it, it's really, wow. really fascinating. Wow. You'd uh, love that stuff. Yeah. I love all that kind yeah. of stuff, mate. That's great. Which doctor is. <laughs> yeah. hello, uh, hello, Vinny. Yeah. Yeah. If you're listening. And then at the end, we also get his his take on hypertrophy and a few other bits and pieces. So it's a, a sounds really, like you, all the bells and whistles in that one. Mark re- delivering once again. Yeah, a really fascinating uh, interview. Because I am doing uh, for our listener that is uh, interested in uh, getting people jacked, uh, hypertrophy in general. Um, doing a little bit of a, a one day seminar. Uh, we've mentioned it before, but. Uh, it's uh, in the development stages, so I've had quite a few um, uh, Skypes with uh, Mr. Buckley himself, uh, putting the uh, course content together. Yes. And uh, basically, the, okay, we'll talk a little bit about later what's, what's involved, but um, but yeah, really excited about that, but yeah. that'll be uh, the next uh, six I, I think weeks. that's great, and for the listeners, I mean, I uh, they'll be interested, obviously, to see what you're going to present, mate, but yeah. I'd be interested as well to see, because I know that over the last few months, you've been really tweaking... Yeah, the programming and, side of things. And so. refining your programming yeah. around uh, hypertrophy and, and yeah. getting some some specific amount of sets, reps, reps volume, yep. and frequency yep. to cause growth. And you can yeah. be able to provide some numbers and some data, and I think that'll yeah. be really useful for uh, any attendees. So yeah, that's, uh, and it, it, it's, it's really cool. It'll be uh, first half of the day is a little bit of an introduction to FMA, what's, what it's all about. You know, like you said, endpoint, you know, starting point, endpoint, filling the gaps in between. Uh, setting the orthopedic profile for the individual. So if you haven't, don't really know what FMA is about, 
you know, it give you, it expose you to what the the concepts behind FMA are, and then it will be. Uh, that's when I'll step in uh, the latter half of the day, and we'll, we'll talk about um, you know different uh, hypertrophy uh, specific movements, big bang for the buck exercises, then the the isolation type exercises, and and some cool uh, fad type exercises and, and and concepts that are out there as well. So for the experienced uh, coaches, you know, it might be a little bit of a refresher, and you might get some new ideas uh and you get exposed to fma and 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 what that's all about but for the those that are pretty green to the industry and uh might not have a a uh a good or or extensive pt toolbox for all the different ways to essentially focus on hypertrophy you know like we're sure we know how to uh, get someone in and train them and um, in big bang movements but what if it's well i want to hit the you know the the lateral head of the tricep you know what's what's my what's my go-to there or you know uh pronated pull-ups more beneficial than a neutral grip pull-up like pros and cons of each and uh you know risk to reward and that type of stuff so it will be pretty cool like not overly uh complex you know um myself like to keep it simple stupid i mean i like to do things um you know that are that are tried and and, and tested and um so yeah, it'll be uh, really excited about that. But we can, um, I can at the end of the Mark Buckley interview, I'll give a bit of an overview of what's involved in that for anyone that's lis- uh, listening that's interested. Sounds good. Uh, we'll get to Mark in just a second. Yep. Some my dieting and tea crossing to get yourself some lovely true Celtic sea salt harvested off the coast of France, yes. mixed with some organic cinnamon and ginger to uh, start your day. Yeah. Uh, go to the Under the Bar iTunes page, leave mm-hmm. us a review, take a screenshot of the review. Email yeah. that into info at underthebarpodcast.com. Yep. And we'll send you out a packet of the True Celtic. A little bit of a convoluted process, but uh, essentially we want you to just uh, get on there and, and, and spread some love with the, the Under the Bar podcast. You can you can leave um, scathing report if, if you feel that way inclined. But yep. um, but yeah, send the send us the screenshot and uh, and uh, what two two packs per episode. Two packs per episode. Yeah. That and, we'll uh, send out. And you can go to underthebarpodcast.com to have a look at our website and yep. the latest blog posts. And, and all the past episodes on there. And uh, You can access all, all of that, that kind of stuff. stuff. Yep. Rawdon, to uh, check you out specifically, they can go to The Dubois Method on Facebook and yep. Instagram. Yep, and yourself. And myself, tomhewitt.com.au to get my latest... Great uh, logo, Tom. <laughs> to check out my logo. Um, but to get my monthly content, my mm. uh, training system of the month, uh, some audio and various other bits and pieces there. It so. sounds like your website's far more extensive than That's mine. all happening. Mm. So for the full story on Mark Buckley, you can go back to episode number 22 when we did a, a whole... Uh, we had a nice big chat with Mark then. But essentially, he is the creator of the FMA Strength Training Certification Yep. I guess he started his career more on the orthopedic rehabilitation well, was, scale, and then he moved back in the day. Yeah, moved through the spectrum of strength and conditioning. He's worked with professional athletes and general pop, and he's joins us right now all the way from the Dominican Republic, which is quite yeah, exciting. Very good. G'day, Mark. Thanks for your time, mate. No worries. Glad to be here. So, Mark, to start off with, if we could get a bit of a, a general sense of what strength and power actually is. I mean, uh, Rawdon and I were spitballing yesterday and we were talking about what makes someone strong, you know, the, yeah, is it, the mechanics of the lift and the yes. or nervous system efficiency, uh, muscle mass, all this yeah. kind of stuff. Is there an actual a hierarchy of qualities in terms of getting someone strong? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question and it's something we, 
we really sort of look into when we're especially trying to come up with a program for a client or an athlete. Mm. And, you know, in the FMA program, we, we teach a sort of a basic three-step process, and that is, you know, number one, identify the end point. Number two, identify the starting point. And number three, close the gap. Oh, you know, it really, it really is that simple. Yeah, yeah, it's good, man. Okay. So when we talk about identify the end point, we tend to categorize it. Um, again, like it's all about going back to basics. So very simply, you know, we're dealing with an athlete or a non-athlete. Yep. So if we're dealing with an athlete, then we're usually going to have an endpoint that relates to some sort of SPP or specific physical preparedness phase. Yep. You know, so when we look at athletes and in regards to your question about strength and power and stuff, you know, we kind of look at it and go, well, what is it the client or the athlete needs? And we kind of look at strength um, as the ability to apply force in a given situation. And that situation can be either time dependent or non-time dependent. So yeah. what I mean by that is if we look at a powerlifter, for example, you know, they need to develop or display maximal strength in a non-time dependent situation. Correct. You know, so basically they've got as long as they can to, to complete the lift. Yep. Whereas if we look at someone uh, like a hammer thrower or a shot putter or a sprinter, um, they have to develop strength, or sorry, display strength in a time-dependent situation. You know, they've only got a very small moment of time to actually display as much force as possible. Yeah, okay. And when we look at things like rate of force development and that, we know it takes around 0.3 to, to 0.4 seconds to generate maximal force. So when you're dealing with an athlete that only has say 0.2 seconds to display maximal force, um, we have a bit of a problem. Because training just you know strength alone um, after a certain point isn't really going to carry over to you know the specificity or the specifics of how they need to display strength in, in their environment. Yes. Yep. You know, so we sort of we sort of factor all that in and I know it can sound complicated, but actually it's very easy once you, you get your head around a, a few sort of fundamentals. Um, but you know, in a, in a nutshell, you know, once you sort of establish the end point and, you, you know, it's all about specificity, um, you then go, well, what's the starting point? So, for case, just for this example, let's go, well, we're dealing with a, like a, a novice trainer. Um, so, the beauty of dealing with a, a novice is, is that we really want to start by, by building strength. Yep. Because we know that if you start on, on the basics of increasing their, their sort of absolute strength, um, the other motor abilities of like rate of force development and power and stuff will also go up as well without singling them out and being very specific in terms of, of training those you know individually okay and that's generally where you would uh, for our listener that's generally where you would start that that uh, develops the that fundamental strength for the for the novice and then as you progress further uh, closer to that uh, specific end goal then you would perhaps go more into the uh, you know rate force development um, and things like that yeah so if we're dealing again it, it's all about that specificity so if we need someone who um, looks at as an athlete that needs to have a high rate of force development in something like sprinting um, we're at a novice level basically just doing the basic lifts and, and working on building their, their absolute strength while they're actually competing and performing sprinting and training is where you want to start with them okay you know, so we, we always talk about, you know, the limitations in, in what we do in the gym. And the reality is that, you know, if somebody isn't actually competing with a barbell in their hand, then everything we do in the gym is, is nothing really more than, than GPP or general physical preparedness. Uh, with the intention of hopefully having some sort of carryover to their target sport skill. Yep. 
In terms of carryover, Mark, I mean, you've sort of yep. made reference to it there that, you know, there's different kinds of strength. So what are some of the strength qualities that you can build in a gym that would then carry over to whatever sort of performance you've got? Yeah, I mean, yeah. That, that's, a, that's a great area. It's the area I love exploring. Um, you know, I think we, we first need to look at um, differentiating between, you know, general strength and, and special strength. Um, you know, a great example is by Dr. Bondachuk, and I love reading, you know, a lot of the, the Soviet influences and things like that. And he was talking about, you know, when you're dealing with especially like elite athletes, you, you've got to be very careful because things like squatting, deadlifting, you know, power cleans and all that are really just general strength exercises. And their ability to carry over to a target sports skill often diminishes the more elite an athlete gets. So he kind of gives a, a great example of a hammer thrower. And we're talking about elite level here, and he kind of gives an example that, you know, if you look at somebody's uh, 1RM, who's an you know, elite level hammer thrower, you know, what you need to ask is, if I invest time and energy into using this general strength exercise, is it really going to carry over and improve performance in the target sport skill? Mm. And one of the things that he showed is that the correlation for general strength exercise training, you know, to an elite athlete is, is pretty low, especially in hammer throwing. If I remember correctly, the correlation um, between someone's one RM in the squat and how far they could throw, you know, in a hammer throw was about 0.196 correlation. So, <laughs> you know, one is a perfect correlation. And then he looked at something which he refers to as a special exercise, which is throwing a heavy hammer, like around a 10 kilo hammer. So it's like an overload type principle. Yep. And the correlation of how far they could throw that in relationship to their performance in their competitive event was around 0.824. And again, remember one is you know, like a perfect correlation. Mm. So what that means is he could look at his guys and see how far they could throw a 10 kilo hammer, which was way overweight, um, and have a fair idea of how well they're going to perform in competition. But looking at their 1RM squat, um, which is just a general strength exercise, there, there was no real correlation to determine how well they would perform at a competitive level. So, you know, we tend to use the words you know, or the, the thing like, you know, you've got to differentiate between general strength and, and special strength or general exercises and special exercises. So these are the ones where we look at things that we kind of know will carry over to some degree to you know, improving performance. Um, so you know, if we look at someone, for example, like a sprinter, you know, so we do work with you know, like rugby players who are, you know, have to do a lot of um, intermittent sprinting you know, for short distances. And the question often comes up, well, what are the best exercises to condition them to perform better yeah. in their, their task of sprinting? So, you know, first we clarify we're not dealing with like a 100 meter sprinter who gets to, you know, maximal speed around the 60 meter mark. We're dealing with people that predominantly run, you know, in the zero to, to 30 meters. Mm. Um, so it's more about acceleration. And, and we know that, you know, if you're, if you're dealing with like a novice lifter, then just doing a lower, like a general strength exercise for the lower body, like a squat, and improving their strength will carry over to like power and rate of force development. Um, but remember, in context, it's only considered GPP. So, in theory, if we get someone stronger, especially a novice, then technically we should see an improvement in sprinting, but it's not guaranteed. Yeah. All right, because there's technique yeah. and, and all that stuff involved. But it's generally fair to say that you know you get someone stronger in a general strength exercise like the squat, we should see some sort of improvement. 
But then you've got the other things where you look at, you know, your ability to generate force in, in for example, you know, the accelerator phase of sprinting, um, and you look at the, the specificity of the movement, and you kind of see that a, a runner who's sprinting um, has both vertical and horizontal force generation. Mm. In fact, I kind of say it's a bit like a parabolic curve. You know, when you, you throw a stone, it kind of goes up, arcs, and then comes back down. So it's kind of like a bit of a parabolic type relationship. So, you know, we know uh, what was quite a good sort of um, special exercise for that is, you know, to quote um, DeFranco, it's heavy ass sled drags. You know, so oh, yeah. when you overload a sled and you get your athlete to pull it, now they're basically simulating the sort of the mechanics of the, the first like zero to 10 meters of a sprint. And a lot of force generation that you're creating through the ground is a lot of horizontal force generation. You know, so we kind of consider that to be in lines with like a special exercise to sort of improve sprinting and things. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Oh, interesting. So, I mean, fundamentally, you would uh, gravitate towards the the uh, certainly in that example you were giving, not so much the obviously the, the hammer thrower, but you gravitate with some sort of lower body a dominant type sport to getting the, the the core lifts stronger but then there would actually be more specific type uh, exercises that can develop power and, and um, rate force development for these guys that would transfer uh, far more uh, onto their uh, the field so to speak yeah I mean if you if you look at if you start sort of putting it all together um, you know we, we look at the end point for example for a sprinter and that's technique uh, and FMM, which is like maximum, maximum force generation. So when you start thinking about that and you kind of look at the, the option for lifting, you know, th there are many varieties. So, you know, you've got your ass to grass squat, which a lot yep. of people um, really enjoy and appreciate and, and recommend. Um, and, and then you've got people like, you know, the West Side, Louis Simmons, who's a, he's a, a big advocate of, of box squatting. And it's all about um, a strong horizontal hip drive off the box. And you know every, everything has a place. It's just about identifying what's going to be the best tool for your your client or your athlete. Mm. You know, so the good thing about the the box squad is it, it kind of breaks up the eccentric concentric phase of the lift. It puts a lot of um, torque loading through the hips. And in fact, a, a recent study I read kind of showed that the rate of force development in a box squat was around, if I remember correctly, three to four times that of a conventional squat. Okay. So, you know, if you're dealing with someone where you want to focus on rate of force development, and remember rate of force development is basically just the relationship between force generation and time, yep. or how quickly you can generate force, yep. um, the box squats are a good tool for that. Okay. You know, and then, but then you get other people that will go, yeah, but when you look at the mechanics of that, there's no sport that we have a vertical tibia and it won't carry over. Right. Um, but then to me that's kind of, of missing the point. You know, we, we talk about mathematics, there's a law called the transitive relations. And basically it's a simple law that sort of goes, um, if A equals B and B equals C, then A is related to C. So it's a very sort of clever way of, of pretty much saying that if somebody needs to improve their, their sprinting and we go, let's say arguments say go, we need to improve their rate of force development then as long as we give them something that teaches them how to have a high rate of force development yeah. um, and then tie it back into the technique of sprinting, then you should learn to, to use that in the technique that you're mm. trying to master. Okay, yeah. You know? It's, so, yeah. yeah, sorry? I was just going to say, I've, um, you mentioned Westside Barbell and I've uh, heard Louis Simmons 
go on about the posterior chain in particular, Mark, and would you say in terms of that gym strength versus farm strength, so to speak, to people who are just naturally strong, if there's one part of the body that, that would develop or would sort of carry, carry over. over to rate of force development, is it the posterior chain, would you say? Yeah, it, it would. I mean, a lot of people, unfortunately, you know, come in with a bit more like a sort of quad dominance over, you know, glute and, and posterior chain sort of dominance. Um, and it is sort of a neglected area. But, but you know, again, rate of force development, you know, we, we've got to go back to the end point, which is, number one, it's all about specificity. Yeah. So, mm. you know, I love the law of adaptation. And, you know, the law of adaptation is pretty much stress recovery adaptation. And adaptation is based on specificity. It's like, what are we actually trying to improve? And, you know, when you look at the way someone has to perform an event or whatever, um, then the rate of force development that they need may be more of a hip torque related movement or it could be more of a knee torque related movement. Yeah, right. You know, so again, it's about marrying up the, the techniques and the way that you're developing force to sort of have carry over to, you know, the, the target sport skill that you, you're trying to improve. You know, so that's why when we look at things like um, sprinting versus vertical jumping, we, we tend to take a different approach with, with exercise selection. You know, based on hip versus knee torque type training and, and yeah. things like that. Yeah, okay. yeah. yeah right. but for the average person, you know, it, it, you, you do get a lot of bang for your buck. You know, sort of hitting the, the, the posterior chain. But again, it's one of those those areas that everyone has become fanatical about and and lost sight of the bigger picture. And that is, well, what is it? See, as a strength and conditioning coach, um, you know, apart from identifying the end point, the starting point, closing the gap, our job really is to eliminate weaknesses. You know, it's in, and if we sort of just try to prescribe a general approach, then quite often we miss things. So, you know, it's not uncommon to have a, someone who needs to improve their jumping. Um, and athlete one has actually a more of a hip dominant jump technique, and athlete two has more of a, like a quad dominant technique. Yeah. So that's going to influence how you train them rather than just going, okay, well, we need to give you an ass to grass squat. To yes. improve your, your jumping. But I guess that comes back to that end point, starting point, where they are when they're starting, identifying that they're more quad or hip dominant. So mm. I really love that, uh, like you said, the FMA approach, that simplicity, uh, identifying that specificity where they actually have to end up and where they are. Where they are now. Are they novice, yeah. you know, advanced, whatever, and then yeah. uh, filling the, the gaps in between. That's really good. I love that. And I guess at the end of the day, Mark, the, we lose sight of this in here because we lift weights. But most of the time for an athlete, they're there to be an athlete, not necessarily lift weights. Yeah. And, you know, you know. Exactly. You know, and that, that's a big thing that we, we really stress. And that is, you know, when you've, you've done the end point and the starting point, we really, really, really strongly emphasize what we call context. And that's establishing training context. Um, and again, it's another principle that has kind of been neglected uh, or not emphasized enough in, in the industry. You know, so we, you know, you're, it's very common, especially in personal training, you'll, you'll see people um, training people who need nothing more than GPP, general physical preparedness type training, um, as like athletes or very yeah. specialized strength programs where they're squatting like three to four times a week yeah, and, and yeah. things like this, yeah. you know, and, and they don't need it. So, you know, context is the big thing and it drives the whole model for program design. Mm. And, you know, the other thing too is we, we stress a lot that, you know, yes, we, I'm a big advocate of the big lifts, you know, like squatting, deadlifting, benching, overhead pressing, and those sorts of movements, because, you know, the, the barbell lifts are the great sort of methods for, for building strength. 
but when you look at your client, like I said, there's only a few athletes that actually compete with a barbell in the hand, yeah. like Olympic lifting and powerlifting, etc. Yeah. So for them, the barbell exercises are nothing more than GPP. For a powerlifter, squatting and benching and deadlifting comes under SPP. It's specific to their competition. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, but for that. every other athlete, it's nothing more than GPP. And when something comes under the heading of G GPP, then there's no point arguing to whether to not have it in a program. You know, so we now look at the squat completely different. The squat for a powerlifter um, has to marry up in terms of specificity and overload to the demands of their competition. Mm. Uh, but for a rugby player or a bodybuilder or someone else like that that doesn't compete with the squat, then we've got to make the trainers aware that the squat now is nothing more than just a general strength exercise for the yep, lower body. Yep, yep. And there are many ways to apply general strength exercises for the lower body. Very good, very so, good. So, okay. yes, so then we look at, okay, but it is a big bang exercise. You know, like we know that ass to grass squats are good. We know that front squats are good and things like that. But the question then is, is that we forget about the exercise and we then must qualify the client or athlete for the lift we're going to give them based on the benefit to risk relationship that they bring to the table yes. and that's individual yes you know this is where we you know identifying the the end point the start point and closing the gap mm. i mean this is where the art of of doing what you do comes into the play closing the yeah. gap that's where everyone yeah. becomes an individual yeah yeah and it, it's great too because when we look at it you know um i have this little term which i refer to which is the lift anthropometric profile uh, um, I use that all the time myself. I mentioned that just before we went on air, mate. Very good. Very good. <laughs> you know, and it's, it's basically, you know, when you take someone who's going to do a big lift, like a squat or a bench press, you know, there's a, there's a, you've got the lift and there's a certain anthropometric profile that goes well for that lift, meaning someone who's suited structurally for it versus someone who's not. Yep. You know, so if you take someone who, let's say, doesn't need to compete in, in powerlifting, but you're going to give them the deadlift, and they don't really match the lift anthropometric profile, then mm. something like the deadlift is going to really kick their ass. If you try to give them too much volume and, and try to focus too much on you know like high frequency training with the deadlift, um, they're going to get really beaten up. Yeah, you man. know, so again, it's I mean there's a, there's a big thing in the industry at the moment where people are jumping onto things like strong lifts and starting strength and all that, and and you're getting these people you know squatting three times a week completely out of context. Um, for what they need and people that don't have the lift anthropometric profile to be squatting that effectively and they're getting beaten up and a lot of people get injured and a, a classic example is you know you look at my wife um, her training goal is not so much she doesn't want to specialize in strength but she basically wants to get um, stronger and, and leaner so she wants to look more conditioned so yeah. What we look at is, you know, well, how do we want to train the upper body? How do we want to train the lower body? Now, to give you just a general example, her lift anthropometric profile as it relates to the squat is very, very poor, right? She's, she's basically very long in the femurs. Um, she's quite good at, at sumo pulling, so she weighs about uh, 50, 55 kilos. And, you know, without in training, going up to the bar, she can sumo pull, so like 80 kilos sort of thing, for, for reps of five and things. Mm -hmm. okay. So this is somewhere, oh, sorry, 90 kilos. She just corrected me, 90 kilos. <laughs> As she clipped her you know, in the ear. Yeah, and, and, you know, when you look at it, it's, it's not bad because she's, she's systemically hypermobile. Um, she, she's not a strength-type athlete. She doesn't want to specialize in strength. She hardly ever deadlifts. But, you know, she's got quite a good, strong sumo pull. Now, on the other hand, She's really poorly designed 
for squatting. So she's been struggling with squatting around 60 kilos. Now, some people will go, okay, well, if we give her a high frequency squat program, get her squatting two times a week, we're gonna sort of, you know, hit that weakness and all that. But for someone, again, about context, you know, she's not interested in being a good squatter. She just wants to get conditioned and she wants to get leaner and, and achieve her objectives. And when she's on TV and things like that, um, she looks good. So rather than trying to, to whip a dying horse and, and keep her squatting and stuff going, because we need to give you squatting because it's the king of lower body exercises, yep. we basically go, well, let's look at your goal, stronger and leaner. So you know what? We'll get you squatting one time a week and as a general lower body strength exercise. And then the next lower body general strength exercise, we're going to do something like a heavy prowler push. Now, in the gym here, we took her upstairs. We loaded up the prowler. So I told you she's like around 55 kilos, somewhere around there. Yeah. Um, and this is a, a girl that was kind of getting a little bit demoralized, you know, squatting under the bar because she's, I'm, I'm struggling, it doesn't feel comfortable, it hurts my back, you know, all that sort of stuff. When we took her up and we loaded up the, the prowler, right, she was pushing, the prowler I think weighed about 25 kilos, if I remember correctly. And on top of that, she had 120 kilos of, of plate weight on the prowler as well. Wow. And she was driving over two times her body weight for around 20 meters. You know, that's, uh, that's and nice. that, actually had people stopping and, and looking and that was the first time she'd ever used a prowler, the first time. So she was a strong girl but she just couldn't display that strength in the squat because she just wasn't really suited for that, you know, that type of, of training. Right. Interesting. Well that will bring yeah. us sort of, that flows nicely into the next segment that we're going to go into and, and that's obviously the, the, the strength and, and, and power development for, for general pop. You know, yep. is uh, I guess for general population, like for your wife, for example, you identify the end goal, which was I think it was lean and uh, you know toned. athletic and toned, yep. and then yep. where, where she was at. So you identified, uh, I guess you would call that the, the orthopedic profile, the you know long femurs and whatnot. So squatting for her, not obviously uh, something that you want a, uh, a huge amount of volume and frequency, and then you're I guess uh, filling in the 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 gaps in between and, and designing the program from there. So um, let's talk a little bit more about general pop. You know, is it uh, for those general pop clients that come in, we obviously, uh, if they don't have an end goal, we work with them, we establish an end goal. Uh, for my clients, it's quite easy. It's to get on stage, compete, bodybuilding, you know, physique show. Um, mm -hmm. So say you've identified that, you identified where they're at at the start, then, then how do we go about um, uh, moving forward from there? Yeah, well, you know, when we, we look at the, the fitness industry, we, you can kind of say that the end, the end point for most people um, will either be a performance goal or an aesthetic goal. Yeah. That, that's just sort of your general. Um, the trainers are, are aware that, you know, when you qualify the end points, uh, so if it's a performance goal for an athlete, and we talked about SPP, which is specific physical preparedness, yep. um, they also need to factor in another thing which I refer to as specific psychological preparedness. So with every yeah, yeah. sport, there's a way we have to prepare them physically and a way we have to prepare them mentally and emotionally to, to compete at a competitive level. Mm. Yep. Um, and for you know for the people that aren't competing in a sport, the non-athletes, um, again, it can be like a performance or a aesthetic type goal. And again, there's, it comes in the realm of, of general physical preparedness and then there's general psychological preparedness as well that, that go with that. Interesting. Yeah. I, I think those factors we... 
uh, might not necessarily, it's great we're covering them because we might not necessarily identify them. We sort of do it for our clients and, and prepare them uh, psychologically, I guess, what I do for the, when they get on stage. It's like, you know, yeah. you need to do this, you need to do that. This is what's going to happen. Let's do some posing practice. Let's sort of uh, get them prepared so when they do walk on stage, it's second nature, similar to an event coming up, I, I would assume. So mm-hmm. well, let's uh, delve into, let's talk about that as a take on that. It's yeah, fascinating. For, for the average client who comes in and the actual, the, the psychological aspect of what they're about to embark, embark on, on yeah. isn't actually, it's not present in their mind. How do you then go about preparing them for that? Yeah, well, it, it's interesting because, you know, now we're, we're kind of getting into the whole concept of, of coaching mm-hmm. and, you know, a lot of a lot of the trainers don't understand the responsibility of, of what a coach is and, and how to actually coach a client to that end point. You know, so we have this saying and that is you can't you can't give what you don't have and you can't share what you haven't experienced. So That's one of the things I always say mm-hmm. to my, my students when they're sitting there, and it's one of the first conversations we have, is like, you know, you're you're embarking on the journey of going through the FMA courses because you want to become a coach and you want to coach clients to achieve a desired endpoint. Now the first question is, is that, you know, I need to ask you, how did you become a coach? Like, how have you started on this journey in the first place? And one of the things I do, because when you teach someone to coach, you basically teach them a very important concept, and that's how to self-parent. So my role as a coach is basically how to teach my clients how to self-parent. And self-parent basically is ex- described as teaching someone how to make choices and how to be accountable for the consequences of those choices, both positive or negative. Yep. Because you know, I'm a big advocate of what's called the Trivium model for education, which is basically three components, which is knowledge, experience, and wisdom. And when you look at the Trivium, it's a, it's a model where it's all about teaching someone actually how to learn. Right? So they don't need a teacher, because if you teach someone how to learn or how to make choices, um, they can go off and, and teach themselves or self-teach. Yep. They don't become dependent upon a teacher. And that's what a coach is to do. You know, a coach is to teach someone um, how to start making the right choices for them and, and how to parent themselves. Because most clients don't know how to self-parent, so they're going to have a relationship with their trainer that's going to be either com- very you know, defiant or compliant. Yep. Um, so we, we touch upon the whole sports psychology thing. So one of the things I like to share with students is, you know, I've learned a lot over the years and I like to share things that... Um, will kind of allow them to not make the same mistakes as I made. So one of the things I explain to them is, you know, when I ask that, that first question, you know, you're going to coach a client, which is one of the biggest responsibilities that someone can entrust on you, is to coach them towards their, their goals. And, you know, we got to go, well, how did we become a coach in the first place? Like, what led us here? Because all we can do is, is share what we've experienced with our clients. So, you know, I share with them straight off the bat that, you know, how I became a trainer wasn't wasn't all glamorous like a lot of people thought. Now the fun story is, you know, I watched the Rocky movie and, you know, I loved the music and training and stuff. And I realised I was too pretty to actually be a fighter, so I thought, well, I'll train fighters. That looks like a fun job. Yep. But the re- the real story is is not so glamorous. And that is, you know, I was basically in a in a very violent, abusive upbringing. My father was was very aggressive, and when I was around sort of 15, I came home one day and he was he was drunk and he was going off with my mum. I had my friend with me who was the you know the cool kid from school that I wanted to impress. And uh, he turned around and he was shouting and I said, yeah, come on, Dad, and settle down. And he walks up to me and he goes, are you standing up to me as a, as a boy or a man? Now, because I got my mate there, you know, I kind of said, well, a man. So he goes, well, I'll treat you as a man. And with that, he headbutted me, broke my nose, put my head through the window. 
um, etc. So that, that was my upbringing. So what that did is it created a lot of fear in me. And when people have a lot of fear, they, they often try to find a way to, to resolve that fear. So for most guys, it's like, I'm a victim, so I need to stop being a victim. I need to get bigger, I need to get stronger so I can kick his ass. So I went to the gym in mind with this defiant relationship with my father and my, my goal for being there was to get as big as possible so I could no longer be bullied and stand up to him. So we tend to go to the gym and we get very obsessed with pushing type movements, i.e. most guys like to bench press, which is a pushing movement. At a, a metaphysical level, that kind of represents what we call the, the exclusion principle. It's your ability to say no. It's like, no, it's pushing, it's pushing away. Versus pulling nice. movements uh, are more the inclusion principle. So, you know, I started doing that and someone comes up to me one day and goes, hey, do you want some steroids? And I go, well, hell what? yeah. Yeah, oh. and I was young. I was, and he goes, well, we'll get you big and strong pretty damn quick. So I'm like, well, the reason why I'm here is because I want to get big and strong as quick so I can kick the shit out of my father and defend myself. Yeah. So, yep, stick it in me. So I started taking steroids. And, you know, my body loved it. I got really big really quick. Um, you know, and I just went in that path and it, it served it served the objective. But the problem is, is that we talk about, when it talks about coaching, um, you know, we say when it's about closing the gap, so we go back to the program design model, closing the gap. Yep. You know, you would have heard the saying that many roads lead to Rome. Well, when it comes to the end point in health and fitness, there's only two roads that, that lead to Rome. One's the high road and one's the low road. And the low road is the quick way, but yeah. it pretty much is the way that will get you there really quickly, but you're kind of throwing yourself under the bus long term. Yeah. Right? The high road is a lot slower, but it, it's, it's a much healthier way to get there. So unfortunately, the worst environment that we have is we have an industry of trainers who come in with their own sort of compliant, defiant type relationship to their fathers. Oh, yep. um, talking as a guy, you know, most fathers, um, basically when you look at the role of the mother and the role of the father, you know, the role of the mother is to inspire the child and the role of the father is to validate the child. So most boys don't get validation from the father, which is what I didn't do, uh, didn't get. Um, my father never gave me the right of passage into manhood, which is initiation that every boy should get from their father. It's the day that the father acknowledges them as a man and they take on the responsibility of self-parenting. So, you know, we get all these boys who have never been validated by their father, who have never been initiated into manhood, who are still competing for the father's validation and attention, staying in like a childlike phase, um, going, trying to then coach to other people um, on how to self-parent, yet they can't self-parent themselves. And then they sit down with a client who goes, you know, what's your goal? When they go, I want to lose weight and I want to get ripped and I want to look really good as quick as possible. And you go, okay, so what happens is most clients will come to you wanting to take the low road. And, and I've had this, I've, I've given them scenarios where I've gone, well, you know, there's, there's two ways we can do it. Um, there's the quick way, uh, and that's basically gonna be very extreme measures to get an extreme response, and it's probably going to compromise things and affect you, you know, basically gonna be throwing yourself under the bus later to achieve the short-term goal. Yeah. Um, or we can go the other way, which is more the high road, where it's a slower sort of route to go on, and but it's going to be a lot easier to maintain, um, and it's going to come with more health and longevity associated with it. And the client still goes, I don't care, I want to take the low road, hmm. you know. And then you get the trainer like myself, who, as a coach, can only share, um, you know, the, the experiences that we've had. Um, and I was going out. My first experience of a trainer was, for me as a trainer, sorry, was going out. Um, going, hey dude, you want to get big? I know how to get you big. And I was kind of known as the person that could get people big and strong pretty quick. And that's how I started getting my emotional needs met and how I started validating myself. 
Um, but basically, unfortunately, I look back and go, I had all these people entrusting themselves in me to, to coach them, and I was taking them down the low road because that was the experience that got me into training, and it was the only experience I'd had, and that's the only experience I could share with my clients. You know, so when it comes when it comes to the psychology of coaching and all this, you know, we, we, you've got to look at yourself first, and you've got to heal those parts of you um, that that are, are fragmented and need healing before you even start trying to take on the responsibility of coaching someone else. You know, until you know how to self-coach and self-parent, um, you're not really in a position to to start coaching someone else and, and sharing that wisdom with them. Mm, interesting. So, Such a fascinating story there, mate. You didn't let that one out of the bag no. when we interviewed you last time. I, I feel a bit down now. I'm going to give yeah, Tom a hug now. No idea uh, the conversation was going to go down that path. Mark, I, I actually think that... Um, coaching or being a trainer is actually almost a method within itself of that self-exploration that you're talking about like if I think about the kind of person that I am now to what I was five or six years ago and the the people that I've worked with and the way that they have developed and the way that I have in the process and the way I think about the world now uh, Mm -hmm. it's like what you're explaining there has happened but not necessarily on a conscious level Mm. like I I wasn't deliberately setting out to do that but that's what yeah. That's what has seems to ha- have uh, evolved within myself. I'm really curious about the the pulling and the pushing and the psychology that that represents. Is that something? I mean, have you looked into that? If someone's got a strong press or a strong chin up or a deadlift, does that represent a, a certain psychological profile? <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it can do. It's just you know when you start profiling people, you're looking at how they train and all this. Um, people that are often locked in that sort of stress response. Um, kind of go down then the path of, of a few things and one is they get very closed off from emotional feeling so they often you know when you look at the left and right hemisphere of the brain they, they tend to get very locked into logic and reason or intellect and they stop feeling and then they basically you know depending on on the reason for the training you know the more closed off we get the easier it is to push and say no than, than to pull and, and, and say yes or, or bring people you know in, into our physical being so, you know, this is why guys tend to gravitate, you know, more towards fighting and, and those types of sports because, you know, unfortunately, as I said, that you know, the father um, sort of validates a, a guy by how strong he is by saying, you know, men don't show emotion. So we, we learn from an early age to, to close off or to close our hearts and, and stop feeling. Mm. Um, and then because we usually have this compliant, defiant relationship from our dad, we, we kind of go out there trying to exert our dominance and say no to the things around us uh, and that's you know striking and, and pushing and, and trying to build our armor and that's why we get seduced by the mirror you know because we're doing it to try and look as big as quick as possible and we, we tend to focus on what we can see which is the whole you know the whole mirror type of um, training sort of response mm. so you know you, you see a lot of that um, but it's really funny because you know I was talking to someone here in the DR who's a, who's a trainer and, you know, we were sort of exploring that. And he goes, you know, I heard what you said about that. And, you know, I'm the opposite. And I go, why is that? And he goes, well, you know, when I train, I actually like to do a lot of pulling movements. I'm not a big fan of benching and, and striking and pushing and all that. Um, so I'm more go down, down the pulling thing. And I said, okay, well, let's explore that a little bit. And he went, okay. So, you know, we're chatting away about, you know, his, his background and what got him into a trainer and all this. And, you know, he had a he had a very um, similar story with his father, and he was always in his brother's shadow. Um, he was the smaller guy, and being the smaller guy, um, they kind of nicknamed him uh, like uh, Juanito or something, which is like the name of his brother but smaller. 
you know, like the, the little baby version. Mm -hmm. And he, he, he used to hate that. And he learned to, for protection, because he was, you know, beaten stuff a lot, that um, he got very good at giving himself away pathologically to the, the bigger people around him, because then they would protect him. So what happened is he, he's talking about the problems he has, and he goes, yeah, the problem I have now is, is that I'll always help, I'll always say yes. And I go, think about what you just said there. And he goes, what? And I said, well, right, you always say yes, meaning you never say no to people, and you basically give yourself away pathologically because of the compliant, uh, compliant defiant relationships you've had you know, with your upbringing. And unfortunately, when you go down that path of giving yourself away pathologically, you're actually attaching what we call an emotional invoice to that behavior, meaning I'll do this for you now and I'll keep doing this, but I'm gonna need something back from you later on. And then what happens in your relationships is that when that happens and that person doesn't meet that expectation of giving back, everything starts to turn to shit. Mm -hmm. And he kind of got it and I said, so you know, you would actually benefit from learning how to stand your ground and exert your dominance and start saying no and moving away from the pathological behavior of you know, always submitting and, and giving your power away and, and doing what people want in order to be liked and, and to be accepted by them. And like a, a light bulb went on for him. So now he's going to start changing the way he trains and changing his psychology and, and uh, starting to change his behaviors as well. That's fascinating for our, um, a lot of the coaches do listen to what we do here and um, I think a few of them would be hit a raw nerve there mate and they're all we're all well, I know I certainly am I I like to deadlift and press so I think I'm quite well-rounded emotionless <laughs> but well-rounded but um but that's an uh, I guess when we we, we we sort of went into general pop and and what was the key players in strength development and then you sort of gravitated towards the the, the psychology of coaching and um and that really really is a massive part of of what we as coaches need to take on uh, ownership of and and that self-parenting uh, of ourselves seems to be a, a really good place to start. But um, yeah, fascinating. I mean, it's it's awesome area. Like you know, I, I learned a lot from from John McMullen, who's who pretty much introduced me to the concept of self-parenting and things like that. And it's um, you know when, when you get your head around it, it's it's such a, a powerful, powerful concept because it's not only something that you know will improve every area of your client's life but it's going to improve every area of your own life and every relationship that you have mm. with you know with business people and relationships with others and, and things like that you know so it is, it is a very powerful area and you know the other thing too is, is that when you, you start using the concept of self-parenting it's it's fascinating because what you're really doing is, is you're teaching people you know how to be accountable for the choices that they make and you know I remember a great saying by Osho once which was um, a guy wanted to quit smoking and he goes, you know, I, 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 I smoked, I, I wanted to quit but I keep smoking. And Osho kind of said, well, what you choose to do is of no consequence to me. Um, and if you want to smoke, smoke, but I want you to smoke from a place of awareness. Meaning, you know, rather than being unconscious and forming the behavior that you normally do to, to numb your pain and things, because we now know, you know, our understanding of addictive behaviors or addictions is, is completely changed. Um, and you know, when people really choose to partake in some form of addiction, whether it's drinking or smoking or drugs or gambling, it's really because these serve the role as a painkiller. It's just basically numbing some pain they have. Mm. So, you know, he basically said, so I want you to do it with awareness now. Don't do it unconsciously, but have a mindfulness relationship with the act of smoking. You know, and one of the big things I, I say to trainers is that, you know, if you look at, again, how I got into training, you know, I became a low road trainer that would bring my clients down the low road. I would get my emotional needs met by getting them strong as quick as possible, even if it meant recommending silly things to them, 
Yeah. Um, and I got my emotional needs met by being needed by my client. And that's the other big thing we teach our trainers. You know, remember the trivium. It's teaching people how to self-parent and not need you, all right, versus having them dependent upon you yeah, yeah. and wanting to have that father or, you know, father-mother type relationship with you. And this is what clients were told to establish. They want you to be accountable for them. They yeah, want you, when yeah. they come in and they go, oh, I broke my diet, you know, they want you to tell them off. They, they want you yeah. to train them harder. Whereas what we say is that, you know, once we've taught them what they need to know to achieve that goal, whether or not they achieve it now is about the choices they make. So a great thing that my wife taught me, I see her do so many times with her clients, is when they sit there and they try to have that codependent relationship where they go, I did wrong, I ate the wrong foods. Um, Jimena has that mindset of well, what you choose to do is of no consequence to me, it's of consequence to you. And she'll just ask them one question and go, well, how did that feel? And get people to connect with the feeling of their choices because we learn to stop feeling as we live too much out of intellect. Um, and then they start to have an awareness of how they feel when they ate that way. Um, and that's what a good coach does. It's just basically whether you're, you know, you're teaching someone a lift or whether you're you know, troubleshooting for them. And all, it's always bringing it back to self and awareness and, and feeling and always allowing them um, to be accountable for their choices, whether positive or negative. We have no ownership of that. We don't take things personally. Um, as a coach, you know, if they make the wrong choices, we don't go, damn, this looks bad on me or, or whatever. Yeah. And we just keep supporting them in the process of, well, how does that feel and how to, you know, start self-parenting yourself. That's that's awesome stuff there, man. Really good. I know I'm going to use quite a bit of that that we just discussed. Uh, <laughs> all right. Let's uh, let's move on to something a little more, uh, more meat and nuts that our, our listener uh, would love to uh, hear your spin on. Yep. Getting... Uh, jacked. I want. I, I'm coming to see Mark Backley. I, I want to. Well, let's maybe not talk about the low road because you know I probably would ask you for the low road. But let's pretend uh, I'm going to take the high road for 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 a second. Yep. The fundamentals from your uh, world, like what? Obviously, we've had uh, the likes of Milo Sarchev, Poliquin, um, John Meadows, Thibodeau, all these guys on talking about their different spins on hypertrophy. I know you. You're very. Um, a rational science-based uh, <coughs> geek, and um, generally, I mean that in, a, in an awesome way. But but generally, you're not you're not going to suggest things that don't actually work. So, key fundamentals for you, um, if hypertrophy was the name of the game, and maybe some um, touch on whether you do uh, use any supplementation. If if if, uh, and let's talk about general pop, I suppose, more so than than, than athletes coming in that, that have to put some weight on in the off season. That's another topic in itself. But general pop. Yep want to get jacked, where, where, where do you start? All right, so we're talking about the application of strength training now as it relates to the end point of hypertrophy. So, yes. you know, I talk a lot about Vladimir Zatsky-Orsky as he defines three ways of developing strength. We have the max effort method, dynamic effort method, and repeated effort method. You know, so the max effort method is, is using loads greater than 85%. Um, dynamic effort method is using loads less than 60% for speed work sort of thing. And repeated effort method is basically where we, we tend to use you know 60 to 85 percent and we're, we're basically using fatigue to accumulate stress um, or fatigue to create intramuscular tension um, that will result in increasing the cross-sectional area of the muscle okay. so what we know is that you know on the one hand you know strength really is the platform that all the other motor abilities and things launch themselves off meaning you know if someone's so freaking weak, we, we know that isolation training has a place for bodybuilding and all that, but you know, if it's a novice who's really, really weak, um, 
a good starting point is just to get them strong. You know, so a simple analogy to get your head around that is, is that you know if we're going to use bodybuilding type techniques where they're going to do you know volume with say seventy percent of their one RM, which which is you know sort of common. Um, well, if their if their one RM is hundred kilos, then they're going to be building volume with seventy kilos on the bar, which is seventy percent. Yep. Versus if their if their one RM and something is like two hundred kilos, well then they're going to be um, building volume with like one hundred and forty kilos on the bar. So you know we kind of look at it and we kind of go that some people are just so weak. Um, the best thing to start our focus on is just building strength, and the best way to sort of build strength um, is to use the the big the big compound lifts. You know, your squat, your deadlift, your benching, your overhead lifting, those sorts of movements. Yep. Now, the other thing though is that you know we, we know that when you're trying to build strength, intensity really is is king, not so much volume. But when you're trying to build hypertrophy, it kind of flips, and it's all about volume. Yeah. You know, so volume really is is the king there. So the big mistake that people make is that they don't know when to switch from a novice sort of you know strength building phase and then get into the specifics of their goal, which is adding volume um, to build hypertrophy. Mm-hmm. You know, so if you look at a lot of people, um, for example, that, that go on a, a, a very focused strength training program like starting strength and all that, um, a big problem that we see is is the volumes are out of proportion. Like there's way too much squatting versus upper body movements and you know, they tend to get quite big legs, not so much happens in the upper body, and they don't really get any bigger arms, and they start to look, you know, they're stronger, but they don't really look any better, yep. right? That's a classic example, and you get these people who are doing this for like a year, and they're just whipping themselves, whipping themselves into the ground, um, getting heavier and heavier, and just exhausting themselves, uh, and not really getting a return for their investment. So the key really is that, you know, you, you've got to know when to start switching over to a more hypertrophy type focused program. Yeah. So, you know, we kind of look at it and go, if someone's really, you know, that weak, we'll start off just with the basic lifts. Um, and we'll also, we'll bring in at the same time some, some secondary lifts. So, without getting too confusing, I'll, I'll give you a very sort of basic example. If we, if we look at the, the major strength sports like Olympic lifting, powerlifting and strongman, you can kind of get an idea of what the reference lifts are or what, what are the, the key strength lifts. Um, you know, and you can pretty break it up into the pressing movements, squatting movements, and, and pulling movements. Yeah. You know, so if you look at powerlifting, you know, you've got your squat, you've got your press, which is a bench press, and you've got your pull, which is like a conventional sumo deadlift. You know, Olympic lifting, you've got your squat, which is like high bar back squat or front squat. Um, and you've got your pressing movement, which is not benching, it's overhead pressing. Um, and you've got your pull, which is like your snatch grip and your clean grip type, type deadlifts. Yeah. And then you've got your strongman, which is sort of like a combination of both. So when we're choosing you know, the, the main strength movements, um, we tend to base it on those big barbell lifts. You know, some form of squatting, some form of pulling, some form of pressing. Now, you know, if I've got someone who goes, Mark, I want to get stronger and bigger, well, what I'm going to do is if they just wanted to get stronger and specialize in, in strength, we know that full body workouts work pretty well for, for a novice. Um, so you might give them you know, like a, a press and a squat day one. Um, the next way, you know, like a, a pull, like a, a deadlift, and then the third workout, you know, go back to another press and another squat. So if it's mm-hmm. someone who wants to go, I want to become a powerlifter, and I'm just talking about a very, very general template yep, here. Yep, yep. Um, you'll go, okay, what's the specificity and the demands of your sport? It's benching, deadlifting, and, and squatting. So Monday's press will be a bench press. Um, Monday's squat will be a low bar back squat. You know, Wednesday's pull will be like a, say, a sumo deadlift, and then we'll do benching and squatting again on Friday because that's specific to the demands of your sport. 
Yeah. Now, if someone goes to me though, I need to get stronger and bigger, right? Well, then I'm still going to use for a novice like a, a basic full body template, but I'm not going to over specialize in building strength in those big lifts. So, for example, what we do now is a simple modification where um, we might go, we bring in what's called accessory exercises. So now we go, okay, so on Monday, we'll get you to, to say bench, but on Monday, oh, sorry, after that, we won't squat you. We'll bring in an accessory lower body exercise, like for example, split squats, yep. um, and we'll build a lot more volume into it. Mm. And then on Wednesday, we'll do the sumo pull, um, for example, and then Friday, we're not gonna get you to do another bench press or a press because you did the big bench on Monday. We'll swap that down to the, the second tier and we'll replace that with something like dips and chin-ups for a lot more volume for your upper body. And then after that, you know, and then we'll have the squat um, for, for building strength. So basically what we're doing now is, you know, we're, we're keeping um, some big strength movements in there, but we're not over-specializing in strength training. And then we're bringing in the next level, which I call the secondary exercises, going back to basics, yeah. um, which are the next sort of big body movements um, that the strong, you know, the men of UCS to do, you know, like um, split squats, chin-ups, dips, and those sorts of things that are much better and much safer for hitting at a much higher volume and, and bringing in the volume. Okay. Um, so therefore, you know, we, we kind of modify that based on what they need. Again, if it's like a female who basically needs, um, say, more glute development, then when we give her the split squat, we'll, we'll give her a technique that's going to create more, you know, torque loading at the hip, yeah. you know. Yeah. So we kind of then individualize their particular needs. And you know, and you can have a lot of fun. So we talk about when you're building strength, we, we sort of chase intensity. Yeah. Um, but then when we're bringing in the, the secondary movements for hypertrophy at this phase, we want to bring in the next big bang exercises. We know like a chin up, you know, hits the back and the, and the arms, and we know the dip yeah. hits the chest, the shoulders, and, and the arms. So they're still big bang. Yeah. But now we chase volume, and then we'll mix it up by doing things like weight related cycles or rep related cycles or set related cycles to bring a bit of variety in. Yes. Mm. You know. Um, it's a basic template, and then if, if again, if someone goes to me, you know, I want to get stronger and leaner, um, then it's a similar approach, you know. And this time we'll do something like, you know, argument's sake, we'll do the same the bench on the Monday, um, and then instead of doing the squat, we will then do something like a heavy, heavy prowler push, like I did with my wife. Yep. Um, something that's really heavy that still builds lower body strength, that's all lower body general strength exercise. But you know the, the work capacity for that is like 30 to 40 seconds of, of work because it takes it takes about that long to cover that 20 meters with that load. Yeah. You know, and then for the sumo, uh, so the pool day will alternate um, one week doing heavy sumos, and the next week we might bring in say farmers carries for heavy farmers. You know, and we'll do um, heavy weight short distance. Yeah. You know, and we sort of bring those in um, for the for the leaner. So it's a very simple template that we we teach people in FMA level one. Yes. Um, just knowing, you know, the three, the general three sorts of programs that people want in a gym is I want to get stronger, I want to get stronger and bigger, or stronger and leaner. Stronger and leaner, yeah. Okay, yeah. I, I like that, Mark, and um, that's exactly what I uh, wanted from you is, uh, you know, a nice basic template that our listeners can uh, take on board and, and, and modify and adjust themselves. But what I love about that is the, uh, you know, for a beginner, the reality is, you know, you can squat once a week you can deadlift once a week you can press you know once or twice a week like that for a beginner yeah. is is more than enough volume for for what they actually need um so that's really refreshing to hear you, you go through that what about um obviously nutrition we could spend a ton of time on, on nutrition but why don't we just touch on uh supplementation perhaps for the beginner there do you like uh 
you know, any sort of creatine or, or, or whey protein or, or amino acids? Is there anything that you like to, staples that you like to use for beginners and uh, intermediate and advanced alike? Yeah, the, the, the truth is, is I'm, everything I do is, is all about going back to basics. Yeah. So, you know, when we're dealing with the general public, um, strength and conditioning, it's about going back to basics. Like we just talked about here, basic ways of, of looking at the big lifts and training and, and things like that. And, you know, again, for general public, the, the most important thing that we do is we, is we don't think about supplements. We, we basically just go back to basics when it comes to connecting them with, you know, identifying their relationship with food. And yeah. I have this saying, and that is, you know, the first thing I teach my clients is um, to understand food, not nutrition, because nutrition's kind of screwed up everything. You know, when we talk about the whole self-parenting and stuff, nutrition is kind of something that's come along that's taken the power away from the client saying, you know, you won't ever be able to be smart enough to determine what you need to eat. You need people in a white lab coat to tell you what to eat. Well, we often have the yeah. lab coats on on this show, and uh, <laughs> I completely agree with you, Mark. We've got one on now, yeah. in fact. So we basically get them to you know, uh, understand food and food preparation and those basic things. And you know, the, the big thing that we teach them is that, firstly, you know, no one can be an expert in you. Only you can be an expert in you. So you need to explore this as we go through these different ways of eating. Um, and, and figure out what works for you. So, you know, I don't care how many people tell you that raw milk is, is a superfood, you know. So, we know that a lot of people that want to get strong go on the go mad diet, which is that whole, you know, gallon of milk a day sort of thing, you know, and, and it works, you know, it's, it, it's worked for a lot of people. But it doesn't work for everyone. So, if you're someone that tries drinking raw milk um, and you get really bad flatulence, gastrointestinal distress, distension mm. in the abdominal wall, and that, you know, it doesn't matter how many people tell you and how many trainers say, no, no, you've got to drink milk, it's the, it's the best thing out there. It's not the best thing out there for you. Yeah. So that's mm. kind of how we teach people to explore. And, you know, we, we know that when it comes to, to understanding food that there is no one diet that, that works for everyone. So, you know, I'm a big fan of the work of Weston A. Price, you know, nutrition and physical degeneration. Um, you know, I've explored things like there was a, uh, a Dr. Byron Robinson who, you know, because we have a lot of, lot of clients that are scared of meat. Um, and they're trying to go down the vegetarian and vegan lifestyle. Um, now, if we get away from the ideas of nutrition um, and why people, you know, choose to be, you know, a, a vegan nutrition, uh, a vegan or a vegetarian, I don't want to get into that. But um, from a, a genetic point of view, we've got to ask: Well, is this the best diet for someone to follow? Now, yeah. we know, like, so if you look at the work by Byron Robinson, he brought out a book that was back in 1899. It was called The Abdominal and, and Pelvic Brain. And he basically was exploring that very question, you know, should we be vegetarians or should we be meat eaters and stuff? And um, one of the things that, you know, he, he did, he did like 650 autopsies. And he noticed that the, the length of the entron, so the entron is the length from the mouth to the anus, um, that the intestinal tract varied 100% between people. It could vary from being 21 feet um, right through to 42 feet. Wow. And he basically looked at the, 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 um, the racial origins or genetic origins of those people and he mm. showed the correlation that the people that were in inland regions that really only had access to plant type proteins had very, very long intron lengths. And the people that were more coastal or had access to a lot more animal proteins um, had very, very short intron lengths. Because the, 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 um, the plant proteins is wrapped up in fiber and yeah. it takes a longer fermenting or rotting time. Yes. So, you know, um, I remember Paul Check used to talk a lot about this and he did, he did a, a good rebuttal to Osho once about vegetarianism and stuff. And he kind of addressed it. And, you know, we know that 
a lot of people are being screwed up because of ideas and it's not really what their body needs. So, you know, we make people understand that and we help them explore, you know, getting the basics right, learning how to have a diet that's based on real food, not food-like products, yeah. and learning to connect with how you feel when you eat a certain way mm. and how to connect with food preparation or the art of preparation again because we're so disconnected from, you know, what we call artisan-type principles of, of food preparation. Yes. You know, so once we've done that, that's it. Now, when it comes to um, supplements and, and performance, again, I never really start with supplements. The only time we ever start with supplements is if someone has, you know, sort of problems where we need to get digestive support and, and things yeah. like that. Okay, yep. Um, but, you know, when we talk about um, training goals now, you know, the truth is, is that when you, when you look at it, someone who's embarking on a, a, a journey, um, whether it's to get lean or whatever, you know, the best thing you can do is, is clean up their diet, like I just said, and get yeah. them to mm. have awareness of what they eat, connect with how they feel when they eat, um, and learn what works for them. Yes. Now, when you look at going beyond that, and do supplements ever have a place? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, um, never really has a, a place in the novice trainer. You know, I never take a novice and put them on creatines and, uh, and all those sorts of things. I basically clean up their diet and get them eating well. Yeah. Um, and in fact, a lot of the times when they do start to plateau in strength, quite often I'll say to them, you know, how many times you're eating? And they'll go, oh, three to four times a day. And I'll look at the eating, I'll go, Let, let's up it to, you know, to four to six and see what happens. Yeah. And then bang, they bust through a plateau, plateau without even doing anything technical with their program. They just needed to eat more. Mm, that's nice. nice. But so then what happens is that when you start, you know, getting to a certain point of your, your potential, which happens like in the intermediate phases of strength training and that, um, so I'm not talking about bodybuilding here, I'm talking about as it relates to strength. Yeah. Um, you know, you also got to factor in as well that um, it, it, you get to a certain point where, you know, you, you're having to eat a lot of food and most people don't have the lifestyles where they can yeah. eat that many foods. Like a good friend of mine, Aaron Skullbrook, who competes in, in, uh, in Strongman, you know, he kind of needs to eat anywhere from like, you know, eight to ten big meals a day. The problem is he's got to work, he's got to do all sorts of other things. He, as much as he would love to eat that much, he just doesn't have time. Doesn't have time so yeah. that's where he starts bringing in, you know, things like you know, um, you know good quality, you know, protein shakes and, and yeah. other things to supplement okay. the lifestyle that he has that won't allow for the amount of food that he needs to eat. I see. Yes, well, that's good, right? man. So let lifestyle sort of dictate uh, where you go with uh, supplementation. Mm. That's good. I tell yeah. you what, Mark, it certainly seems that with uh, FMA, it's a far more holistic approach towards uh, strength and conditioning and just lifestyle in general. It's really, really very exciting. What's on the future for you and FMA? Well, we just, it's, it's just pretty good. Um, we're, we're kind of releasing this year the FMA Strength Institute. Um, yep. I've got a good team of people now on board, you know, Mark Luxon and all that in Australia who's yep. good really guy, working hard. Um, to, to get the awareness out there and 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 build the programs in, in different states that we, we haven't really penetrated because you know a lot of people that have been following FMA since it started in 2009 we kind of know they've been a one-man gang all this time um, so yes now we've got a good team and you know we've got some good presenters on board so the goal for, for from now on is pretty much just get all this information out there and just keep evolving it and keep sharing yeah. all these different ideas and, and just do what we can to sort of give back to the industry that's that's been so good to me you yeah. know for, for the last 20 years 
And what about uh, to wrap things up now, man? We'll, we'll get you on again, I'm sure, to uh, pick your brain. We only uh, scratched the surface uh, of Mark Buckley in the last uh, couple of times we've chatted. But for for those listeners that do want to, um, obviously, I know you know uh, how to get in contact with you. But w- website, where, where should they be looking for FMA um, courses that are upcoming? I know it's a, like you said, a big lineup this year for for FMA. Where do they go? Well, we're about to have a proper website up very soon. It's, <laughs> it's in the workings, but. <laughs> We have a temporary sort of splash page at the moment up, which is if you go to uh, fmastrenginstitute.com.au, yep. um, you'll be able to get in touch with, with someone who can answer your questions and, and keep up to date with what's happening. Awesome. That's great. All right, all right Mark. Thanks for having you on once again, and uh, I'd love to have no a uh, chat again in the future. And um, we, uh, we, you and I might be uh, putting something together this year as well uh, through FMA, so I'm really excited about that. Um, so yeah loving what you're doing and I look forward to spending some more time with you this year and um, we'll get you on again soon no worries thanks for your time thank you Mark good on you mate talk to you soon bye see you mate Bye. bye Well, another fascinating chat there with Mark Buckley from FMA Rawdon and uh, He's a wealth of knowledge. A wealth of knowledge and as complex as it can all get, I do like the way uh, the way his brain works and the way obviously that controls what FMA does is the simplicity of the systems. Yeah. From when you step back and look at the broad perspective, uh, end point, starting point, close the gap. Yeah. It's there and you know everything he does even those um, you know those psychological profiling systems he went through, they're all uh, tried and tested models of learning and models of education you know like he doesn't do anything that is can't be proven or scientific or you know and i think that's great and i think the self-parenting aspect you know you really need to get the clientele to take on that responsibility themselves you know a lot of the coaches will you know uh set up a system where they they rely on the coach to to give them the the go-ahead or or but it's really they need to take ownership themselves and um when we when we ultimately do get these clients to self-parent then that's when they're really uh, yes. loose and bounds and um, yes. take and that's ownership what, of the situation. That's what real coaching is. You're coaching exactly. the individual how to do this. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, not that I knew it was self, uh, self-parenting. I had a name for it, but it's essentially what I try and do with my, again, different demographics. So it's a little easier at times for me because they have that end goal. But it's like, oh, you know, I, I, I ate off the plan. Okay, well... Why'd you do that? Oh, you know, because blah, blah, blah. Okay, do you think that's going to help you on stage? No, it's not. Okay, well, you know, and, and they they sort of go through the process of, of uh, what actually occurred and they take ownership of it. So they are sort of, in, in essence, uh, similar to the self-parenting, but... Um, but it seems to work well, you yeah. know, and 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 less deviation of uh, said plans when when they do start taking ownership and Themselves, really take yeah. responsibility of the journey that they're, they're embarking on. Great stuff. Now, do you want to give some details about this Mate, uh, yeah, course like, you're doing with Mark? Yeah, so it's a it's going to be a hypertrophy one day seminar. I think it's under three hundred bucks, so it's it's not in the, not an expensive uh, proposition for our for our listeners, and uh, some of them may be interested. Uh, you know, unfortunately, we'll be exposed to myself, but presented. But basically, they'll run through uh, the FMA uh, principles, orthopedic profiles, and um, you know, assessing the client, things like that. 
uh, and then we'll get into uh, into the hypertrophy side of things. But in a similar vein to like Mark uh, spoke about that FMA systemized type uh, endpoint as an athlete, non-athlete, okay, uh, novice, intermediate, advanced, uh, identifying the starting point, and then closing the gap, and then. Um, you know, stress the SRA uh, cycle, strength recovery adaptation going into that. Uh, I dare say maximum recovery volume will be uh, covered. Um, specificity, the said principle that I mentioned before, that specific adaptation to impose demand. Uh, that concept, uh, progressive overload, fatigue management, um, and obviously individual differences playing a role there. So they're the types of uh, uh, things we're going to delve into. And then uh, a bit of a um, how to on the, 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 the different exercises or bang for the buck type exercises obviously we're not going to go through every single exercise uh, yeah. that you can do for every body part but the, the big bang uh, movements and then uh, some nice isolation movements and uh, Q&A's along the way and um, it should be really cool but really excited about that that'll be in the next six to eight weeks I think that'll be going uh, live mm-hmm. and um, I think he, you know Perth Melbourne Brisbane so getting around yeah, a little okay. bit so uh, quite oh, exciting uh, I might come down to Melbourne and uh, yeah. do it yeah that's it write that very, one very off nice. on tax but, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah I'm really excited about that and, and, and for me it's a uh, Although, you know, I don't necessarily, um, you know, FMA is not uh, something that I uh, necessarily uh, hammer on with all my clientele. There are fa- factors and elements of FMA that I've uh, acquired over the, the different courses that I've done, the, the level one, level two, and um, uh, level one with Mark. So um, I really do think it's, um, it has a lot of great elements, and um, it's certainly a, a course that, uh, you know, uh, your time is well spent. Uh, I get a lot of uh, practical application out of it, but um, but I'm just really excited uh, for the opportunity to work with uh, with Mark and uh, help develop all the content. It's pretty much uh, you know consults every every couple of weeks with uh, with Mark picking his brain and going back and forth. That's so great. for me, it's a you know yourself to my love to educate myself An education and, um, in, the, in the process. Yeah, yeah, which which I'm really excited about. So uh, great opportunity for me, and um, yeah, excited to, excited for that. And if anyone wants to come along, then yeah, that'd be awesome great that's been another episode we'll see you again next week uh any information you can find it at under the bar thank you very much Cheers.